You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. I thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength in your presence is fullness of joy. And I am asking as somebody that feels a little bit depleted um, to remind me that we don't run by feelings, that we yield to the Holy Spirit, that you guide us and give us strength when we need it. And I am asking me, you to fill my mouth with your words that every single person would walk away with something that they need to hear specifically and uniquely for their life, and that you would receive all the glory and all the honor. Holy Spirit, I admit my complete and utter dependence upon you. Apart from you, I can say and do nothing. So I'm yielding and looking to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Who's ready to study the Word of God? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house... The laborers labor in vain. Now, they're not talking about a physical house, but what they're speaking of is our lives. It says, unless the Lord builds it, the laborers labor in vain. Well, who's building it? Okay, the Lord in that context of build doesn't actually mean laying the foundation and putting the walls in the electrical in place. It is actually the architect. God is the architect of all things and most certainly our lives. And he has left us the schematics and the blueprint blueprint for our lives in the Bible. This iPad represents my Bible, okay? And so, um, and when we make the decision or, you know, to, to build our lives apart from the Word of God, we can certainly make a mess. And even inside of the church, there is a great and grave danger that many of us will rely on what we heard on a Sunday morning, what we think we remember from that conference we once attended, and we use that information to build the most sacred and precious thing that we're entrusted with, which is our lives. No architect or construction team would ever rely on looking at the schematics of the building once a week and then building off of the memory of what they read on a Sunday. You won't find that at any, well, I shouldn't say that because I have worked with some contractors that I think may be using that, but any construction worker or architect worth their salt would have the schematics and the blueprint right in front of them. And as they're laying the foundation, as they're putting in the framing, they are checking it according to the directions of those schematics. How much more so true of us and our lives. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 24 through 25, this is out of the ESV. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, which, guess what? You're a part of that group now because I'm about to read it to you. So if you've never read the scripture, he's talking to you. And does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Jesus is speaking in parables and he's warning us of the danger of relying on our own intellect and our own experience in building our lives, or even more so 
accepting the opinions and ideology of this world and trying to build our lives upon that. He is almost guaranteeing that the storms of life are going to come. As a Christian, you will face adversity and hardship in this life, but God's grace will carry you through those moments and you'll realize that in the testing of that, your character is being grown and developed. No, we need divine wisdom. And often, not just as believers, but in this world, we can rely on what people to the left and to the right are doing. And we can look at people to the left and to the right and say, man, they got, you know, everything seems to be going well. They have a beautiful marriage. Their business is prospering. And we might almost be tempted to adopt some of their ideology because things aren't moving as fast in the Joya house as they are, let's say, in the Brady house, right? But it's interesting to me as Tom Brady, and I'm one of the biggest fans there is, and as he's recently stepped away um, from being the greatest football player of all time, my opinion. Um, he had over a 20-year career. Uh, he jumped in on an investment into cryptocurrency, and the report just came out yesterday that he lost $84 million. Now, I don't care how rich you are. That is a lot of money. If you, if you look over the span of his 20-year career, that is not quite half, but it's close to the amount that he spent 20 years building. So here he is, with the label, the goat, and has wiped out almost half of his uh, finances, which don't feel bad for Tom Brady. He just signed a 400 million contract with Fox Sports, but he's going to be all right. But it begs the point that just because something looks great on the outside doesn't mean that it's truly built on a solid foundation. We also know, and I'm not trying to pick on Tom, but you can't meet anybody in New England that hasn't heard of Tom Brady, whose marriage and family has also fallen apart. And I have been praying for him, and, but it's a sign to us that the world doesn't have the answers that we're seeking after. It's the scripture that is the truth that that in, instructs us how to build our lives. You know, I had a leader tell me um, one time that if you're always looking for shortcuts and you take the shortcuts, even in the smallest and menial tasks, when the larger issues of life come, you'll resort back to what is comfortable, what is natural, and, has, and what has become a habit to you. And so excellence is actually found in the small things, not the large things. And so we have to make sure that we are being faithful in the smallest of tasks. And as a result, when the larger things come, because in building a house, if you're just, if you cut some corners in just the very first thing, which is pouring the foundation, the whole house will be off. And so it's important that we don't... Um, cut corners. In fact, do you know why Wendy's has square burgers? Go ahead, bring it, Charles. Yeah. His mom told him never to cut corners in life. That's why they have square burgers. I don't know if that's true, but it's funny, and I just thought I'd throw it in there, but it, it begs the thing. We do not cut corners in life, and so you see we have to be faithful in the smallest of tax, tasks. And contrary to popular belief, 
the enemy of faith or faithfulness is not fear. You often hear the enemy of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is fear, right? Maybe you've even heard me say it. But the opposite, the, the enemy of fear that is actually sight. And we've been talking about how Christ compelled everyone he came in contact with to ask for eyes to see and ears to hear. He was not talking about natural sight and natural hearing because everybody that Jesus came in contact with that couldn't hear and couldn't see, he gave them their sight back or he gave them their hearing back. He's talking about spiritual senses. He is telling us, you have to look for this. You have to look for my eyes to see and your ears to hear. And sight will actually prevent you from stepping out in faith in many areas of your life because you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and you're relying on your natural senses instead of being spirit-led. And you say, well, this is scary. This is a major decision, which is why we must be spirit-led in the smallest of decisions in the smallest of tasks and we build ourselves up so you might look like i don't even know who i get somebody super skinny on the outside but you might look like the rock in the spiritual realm we are building ourselves spiritually the problem is that when we want and need to we that we want and need to see something and often immediately so we want it microwaved And we take matters into our own hands. But the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. So sight is the greatest danger to you walking and living your life in faith. And this is why in the book of James, he warns us, and I'm going to read through this whole, James 1, 2 through 7. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, so there's that promise again, hallelujah, God's promising that you're going to come against adversity and hardship, but let's continue to read. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Okay, so already we know that we kind of have a perverted way of looking at hardships. We usually sink into ourselves. We get downcast. We start to get anxious and depressed. But Paul is saying, I actually need you to have a paradigm shift. When you see these things, you need to look at it as an opportunity to experience great joy. For you know, or some of us do and some of us don't, but today we're going to walk out of here knowing that when your faith is tested in the small and large things of life, your endurance has a chance to grow. Where does your endurance grow? When your faith is tested. When you rely on being spirit-led instead of relying on your natural senses. So your endurance will grow. And let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, so we're all developing this level of endurance so that we can run more than a mile. And when your endurance, when your spiritual lungs can take the breath of heaven... Okay, you will be perfect, you will, is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And then he goes on to say, and if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So if you need wisdom, you need to be asking God. Because God is going to give it to you. He's not going to be upset. He's not going to be angry. Sometimes as a dad, kids can ask me the same question like a hundred million times. And I get a little bit curt with them or a little bit short. But God's never going to be like that. I'm an imperfect father, but God's a perfect father. So he's never going to be, 
He, he's never going to be let down when you ask him these questions. He's not going to rebuke you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for such a person with, and this is what the Bible describes it as, divided loyalty, one foot in the world and one foot trusting God. And you're still asking God because you go to church on Sunday, so you know that that's the right thing to do. But truth be told, you put a lot of stock and weight into what you see and what you see your neighbors doing. He said, don't be like that. It's like a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. If you are like that, divided, such people should not expect to receive anything from God. That almost seems, that's heavy. But Paul wants us to get this because this is the way that we're going to build our lives moving forward. See, being faithful in the small things will lead us through the crucible of testing and will take us beyond our natural ability, our intellect, and our experience where faith actually enters the equation. You've heard me say this many times, but you don't even begin to walk in faith until you come to the very end of yourself. Up until that point, you are relying on your giftings, your education, and your experience, which is okay, but God wants to take you so much further than that. That's why the Bible boasts that your weakness is actually your greatest strength because God can move in and through that. So you get to the faith level quicker and your strength may take you a little bit farther before you start to enter into faith. It is there that we have no choice other than to call out and ask for his grace and his wisdom. So I want you to hear this. Wisdom is often paved through trials. So I want to take the next few minutes to talk about this word wisdom. And dang, did time just fly by. Okay, but here we go. Are you ready? The definition of wisdom, according to Webster's Dictionary, is defined as this. The quality is or state of being wise. Wisdom is having knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with the ability to make a just judgment or perform a just action. You see, wisdom includes both discernment and insight. You can live a very long life and never grow in wisdom. Did you know that? Maturity or wisdom is not a function of time. I could show you 57-year-old men that, that are not walking in wisdom or maturity. And I can show you 18-year-old men that are walking in wisdom and maturity. It's a willingness to yield to the truth of God's word. You can have endless experiences and never learn anything from those experiences. In fact, some people, some people in this room, you may be having new experiences, thinking that you're learning new things, but you're really only learning the same thing over and over and over and over again. Some people make mistakes, the same mistakes, dating the same guy, dating the same girl. They come with different faces, they come with different clothing, but at the core of their being, this is the same busted scrub guy. Remember that song? I don't want no scrub, scrub is a guy that can't get no love from me. Yeah, and you're dating the same guy over and over again, and you ask, why, is my, why do my relationships always end up 
like this. It's because you're looking for the same thing. You're making the same mistake over and over again. You're not learning from your mistakes. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived up until, of course, Jesus' arrival in the New Testament. But at the time, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Why was he the wisest man that had ever lived? Well, Solomon in his teens, okay, was a son of David, who we were talking about earlier, and he inherited the keys to the kingdom. Okay, in your teens, you might have got the keys to a car, in my case, a Ford Escort, and so, but he got the keys to the kingdom. And he was having a conversation with God, he was talking with God, which is a pretty great idea, um, especially when you're looking for something. And he said, um, he was overwhelmed with this, but God, seeing him in this situation, said, if you ask anything of me, Solomon, I will give it to you. And so Solomon thought about this, and instead of asking for wealth, instead of asking for power, instead of asking for pleasure or stuff, he asks God for wisdom to lead his people. And God says in return, because you have not asked for wealth, and because you have not asked for power or pleasure, and all these other things that men pursue, because you have asked for wisdom, not only am I going to give you wisdom and make you the wisest man who has ever walked the earth, I am also going to give you all of these other things. Now, before you go running out and asking God for wisdom so you can get everything else and follow Solomon, um, I have to let you know that wisdom isn't always celebrated. And wisdom doesn't necessarily look like wisdom to those who are unwise. So soon the Bible records Solomon was tested in this area. So there were two women in the kingdom. Some of you may know this story and some of you haven't, but I was actually thinking about it. And I learned this in Sunday school. And of course, I've read it, but I've never heard a, a, a pastor preach on it. I'm sure there have been, but I haven't heard it. But Solomon's king, God grants him this wisdom and everything else. So he's doing pretty good. And then these two women approach him. There were these two women in the kingdom, and they both had babies. And one of the babies died in the middle of the night. And the woman, the, woman, the mother, whose baby died, went and took the other woman's baby. And there was a big fight that ensued. That's my baby. No, that's your, my baby. And they were fighting back and forth. And it got word to the king because they didn't have DNA testing. Or as anybody, parent that has watched Zootopia, uh, Denna testing. <laughs> it's in our Denna. Um, but DNA, they didn't have DNA testing. So nobody knew what to do. So they brought it to Solomon because they knew that he was wise. And the mothers are fighting, fighting claiming that the baby belongs to them. And how the heck are you going to decide? It's like an like episode of Mary Povich, you know, like who's the father, you know, who's the mother? And so Solomon draws upon this newfound wisdom and he makes this statement. And I want you to hear this. He says, both women are claiming to be the mother of this baby. So to, to, to answer this, what we're going to do is we're going to cut the baby in half. You say, wait, that's wisdom? That doesn't sound like wisdom. And of course, the woman who, has the, the woman who wasn't the mother agrees and says that it's an absolutely brilliant idea because misery loves company. But the mother who is actually the mother of that child yells, no, don't kill the child, give it to her. And in that moment, Solomon instantly knew who the real mother was. You see, wisdom has a way to cut through all the lies and deceptions and emotions of a situation that we as humans often use, hear me, to cover up our hearts, and it cuts to the core motive of love. 
Wisdom has the divine capacity to cut to the heart of a matter. I want to ask you a question. And we're going to have some participation in the room, so we're going to raise our hands again, just like with the Super Bowl question. Who is the wisest person you ever knew? I just want you to think about that. Think about the wisest person you ever knew or, or know currently at this time. Caveat, it cannot be you, okay? Or your pastor. I know, I know, okay? It can't be you or your pastor, and it has to be somebody that you actually know, not like somebody you read their books or watched a video and admire, but somebody that you actually know, the wisest person that you know. Now, let me ask you this question. By a show of hands, if the wi- is the wisest person you have ever known the richest person you have ever known? Raise your, raise your hand. The wisest person you know, the richest person you know. Okay. Just a, just a couple of hands. Hmm. You know, that tells me something. There's no great connection between wisdom and financial success. Let's try this. Raise your hand. The wisest person you have ever known is the most educated person you've ever known. Okay? Just a couple again. It's not an absolute, but it just shows that there isn't necessarily a great correlation between a high education and great wisdom. So a person of great wisdom doesn't always create great wealth or have a great education journey. And the converse is true. Just because you have a great education journey and just because you've achieved material success does not necessarily make you wise. Things that make you go, hmm, right? Remember that song? Things that make you go, hmm. It makes you think, what is wisdom? You see, the wisest person you've ever known is someone that you would go to because these people have an extraordinary ability to cut to the heart of a matter, and they provide the healthiest counsel. Wisdom is so much more than knowledge. Knowledge can help you make a living. Certainly, we need knowledge, but wisdom will help you make a life. It's bigger than the accumulation of data. It has the unusual ability to connect the dots. And let me just give you an example, and I'll kind of close with this because I've gone a little bit. Early in my ministry, um, you know, I'm a people person. I love people. And when Jess and I were dating at first, she always thought it was kind of weird. Like, I'll talk to a cashier for 20 minutes. And if it's a guy or a girl, so obviously when I talked to a girl, it was like, wait up, are you flirting? And I'm like, no. She began to realize, like, this is just me. I just love people. God just made me that way. I don't have to try. I, try. I, just, I just really love people, and I love being around people. And because I love people, it's pretty good if you're going to be a pastor. And God knew what he was doing. And so I stepped into ministry. And I remember when I started really getting my hands dirty and dealing with kind of the, some of the, the ish that, that we, we experience in our lives. And I was, I was dealing with uh, full-blown addictions and, and you know, uh, uh, marital issues. And it was just breaking my heart. And I was wearing it on my sleeve. And I remember I would, you know, go to the scripture. I would pray and intercede on behalf of these individuals. And don't worry, nobody's in this room. This was early in my ministry years. Okay, so I'm not outing anybody. But um, it would get to the point where I'd start to become distant from my wife. I'd start to become distant to my kids. Sure, I was there in the physical, but my kids were playing and I was kind of staring at a dot on the wall thinking about the situation and how I could help them. And it started to stress me out. And I went to somebody um, 
who again wasn't the, the richest or the, or the most educated man in the world, and I was just sharing the situation, and they dropped this on me, and all of a sudden, it just brought, I was in this world of, there was so much confusion, I was so stressed out, I was hurting for them, I was hurting because I didn't think I was being a good leader, and they dropped this wisdom, and they said, you can't care more about people's problems than they care about it themselves. That is wisdom. And in that moment, I realized I was picking up a burden that I didn't need to pick up. Not only that, but I was compromising my ability to even help lead them through by getting caught and lost in the weeds of their poor decisions. So I wasn't being a good leader to them. I wasn't being a good husband. I wasn't being a good father. I wasn't being a good friend nor pastor. But that wisdom gave me a basis and a guideline to help people, but to not get caught to the point where I was caring more about these issues, building these spreadsheets, creating these 10 things you need to do with your spouse every single day. And I remember one, um, and it broke my heart because it was, none of you are going to want to come to me for marital counseling, but it was the first couple I ever really counseled in marital counseling. And they came to, they came to me and they just said, hey, this isn't working out. We're going to get a divorce. And I don't know if it was the Lord that fell on this guy because it was an ugly situation, but he just said, he was walking out of the room. I'll never forget this. And kind of as a, by the way, he just turned around and said, hey, uh, just so you know, like we never did anything that you asked us to do. I, I just thought I should let you know that. I know it's laughable now, but in that moment, like I was so devastated because I had cared so much about keeping this couple together and I still breaks my heart to think about. But the fact that he gave that to me, it was again, was propagating the wisdom that was shared with me. You can't care more about people's problems than they care about themselves. And so I'll just share this. I'll share this in closing. I'll go all the way down to the very last scripture, um, Tim, which is Proverbs 4, 6 through 7. And it says this, above all and before all, do this. Okay, so before we read any further, I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Above all and before all. Okay, this should get our attention. This means life, marriage, career, relationships, gifting, everything. Do this. Get wisdom. Write this at the top of your list. Get understanding. I'm going to ask you to stand. As we are reading in James, the Bible says that if any of us lacks wisdom, to simply ask and that God will give liberally, but not to be like a wave tossed to and fro, not to be partly in the world and partly in the church. For such a man will receive nothing, but to say, God, I'm willing to step away from all of this and I'm willing to embrace the wisdom of your word wholeheartedly. I know there are many here today are here because someone drugged them not literally drug, but they brought them by the arm. Some of you are here, you've been coming to church for a long, long time, but you say, man, as you were sharing that, like I lean heavily on the world and heavily on my experience and maybe a little bit on church or a little bit on my relationship with God. And I want to get that right today. The Bible says that we can have an unbroken relationship with him if we are willing to confess him as Lord. If we believe in our heart and confess that Jesus is Lord, it says we will be saved. It doesn't say we might be saved. It doesn't say we could be saved. It doesn't say magic eight ball, shake it up, highly likely. 
It says you will be saved. And I don't want anybody to walk out of this room guessing or shaking a magic eight ball on whether or not their eternity is secure, of whether or not they have a relationship with the Lord. I want you to know as you face the trials and tribulations of this life, that you have God walking alongside you. That when you open your mouth, the Lord hears it. And that when you need wisdom, not only will he give it, but he will give liberally. But that is only made available to those who have surrendered and yielded their hearts to him. And so if you are in this room and you say, Matt, I want to I wanna know. I want to know that I have a relationship with the Lord. I want to give him my life. I want you to raise your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's the greatest decision that you can make. I was in a service much like this. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. So we're all going to repeat this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my sin before you. And I repent and turn away from it. I embrace the truth of your word above what I see, feel, and experience. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. And now I want to pray for you, dear Heavenly Father. You saw the hands that went up. And I pray in a way that only you can that you would shed abroad your love in their hearts, that they would undeniably know that they have had an encounter with the creator of all things, that their ear would be inclined to hear your voice, that you would open up your word in a way that they've never read, that they would feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit everywhere that they go. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory because you are so worthy. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And let's give them thanks in advance. I want to thank you all for leaning in. And I want to let you know that regardless of what you're facing, God's wisdom is made available for each and every single one of you. There is no shortage of ideas in heaven. And he will come alongside to excavate everything that he has placed on the inside of you. I love every single one of you dearly. Growth track is going to be happening. Uh, just meet me in the hallway and we'll figure that out because we had some flooding. Until next week, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.